Our scripture reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. I invite you to turn there to Mark, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 20. Jesus has been about his ministry. He's calmed the storm. And now this. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I abjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled, told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Thus our reading from God's holy word, and may he bless his word to us. The scene here, congregation, is a horror. A horror. Talk about a dead-end life. We meet people who sin, who make mistakes, who make very poor decisions, get themselves in a muck, in a mess, who perhaps go to jail or find themselves in all kinds of financial disasters, who aren't faithful in their relationships, make a wreck 
of such a relationship. And we look at them, you've made such a mess of things. Your life is messy, it's broken. But nothing like a dead end like this, demon man. It's the sort of thing in conversation. Well, how's your son? Well, you know, they started that, that donkey business and they have a lot, they're so busy. They're going pretty well. And how's, how's your son, Zachariah? Well, you know, he's newly married, and, and you, you continue. The, and how's your son? Oh, ooh, sorry, that's right. Your son is demon man. Your son, filled with a demon, mucking about the tombs, naked, crazy, cutting himself, mutilating himself. Talk about a dead end life. What sort of future does he have? Is there a happy tomorrow? Demon man. And this is the Greekified, secularized, paganized part of promised land, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. One reason we know it's Greekified is not only through archaeology, but just the name of the region is called Decapolis, which is a Greek term for ten cities. The ten cities, what do you refer to that? Oh, the Decapolis, the Hellenized, Greekified part of promised land where there's wreckage and ruin and misery and where the welcoming committee is this demonized, possessed man. And yet, mercy, Jesus' mercy, gospel mercy, comes to unexpected places. It's an important message for the church, because the church is trying to live right, do right, not make a mess of things, but order things, live in conformity with God's way and God's will, where there's sensibilities, demons aren't running the show, the Holy Spirit and God's Word directs the way. That's all good until we start thinking gospel's only for us, mercy's what we deserve. We're the recipients because we're better. All good until we start thinking like that. And then you also think, no mercy to the other side. No mercy for the broken cities. No mercy for the derelict neighborhoods. The people who've made a mess of things. No mercy for those who are broken and wayward and under the influence of the demonic. And yet Jesus deliberately crosses over. They came to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They came to the other side, to the country of the Gerasenes. And mercy comes in unexpected places. Now, it's that we want to focus on as we look at wreckage that's found there, human wreckage, as we also see that it's unsought for mercy and meets with resistance. Let's be merciful and the world will welcome us. It, 
resistance. And yet how even there it ends with wonder. And this is a hopeful program for the church as we live out in the world and as we uh, seek to go forward in the calling we've been given. Now, the wreckage is evident in the welcoming committee. It's a welcoming committee of one. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, we're told in verse 2, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs. Already what? Hello? This isn't the cemetery caretaker. No, no. This is a man out of the tombs filled with an unclean spirit, demon man. This is the fellow who we're told, because they'd come to learn, he lived among the tombs. He was homeless, and the tombs were where he could get out of the rain and find sanctuary. You have to think of burial vaults in the side of hills, that kind of thing. He lived among the tombs. We're also told that he was, they were unable to bind him being demon-possessed. They tried to chain him, he would break the chain. Shackle him, he'd break the shackles. Uh, and no one could subdue him. He was, stay away, stay, <laughs> keep your distance. Uh, only a man to fear. It's the sort of thing on a Friday night that some... Uh, uh, naughty teenagers might say, let's go try to catch a glimpse of demon man. And they'd sneak up around the tomb. There he is, and now it's, ah, run for your life. (laughs) But what a shambles of a life. What a dead-end life. What a broken life. Think of, when you think of a man like this, it's not so much that you think, well, he was probably once a good upstanding young man. No, he probably played on the edges of sin in all kinds of ways. Was probably underhanded, unspiritual, and hard-hearted, and played on the edges with the devil, and now the devil had him. In fact, we learn that he's filled with not just a demon, but demons. Now, this all is taking place Where? On the other side, the Greekified side, the cultured side in that sense, because it was the Greeks who had given us philosophy and order and uh, had, had given us culture and mathematics and all these things that help even to this day we live out of the legacy of a civilization from the Greeks. So the Hellenized side and yet demonized, secularized, paganized, under devil influence, which helps us understand something about the world. Whether you go to the most impressive parts of the city of Grand Rapids or travel to Chicago and shop down Michigan Avenue and look at the mighty tall skyscrapers and the magnificent sports facilities and the Art Institute, and the Lyric Opera, and all these places. All these things to impress. Look at the ordered, civilized society have created, yet jails behind the stadiums. Crack addicts, and, and people 
people's lives in shambles with drugs down dark alleys, psychiatric wards and bottom floors of hospitals where people can't cope any longer, people broken with drugs, and then all the crime, the self-destruction that we read about on the news uh, under the influence of gangs and the like. So something impressive, yet keep looking, keep piercing, peel away some veneer in its brokenness, its dead ends, its dark places, its broken people, broken places that need mercy, God's mercy. I didn't say deserve. Let's get real clear. I didn't say deserve, but what is grace and mercy always anyways? It's getting from God goodness that you don't deserve. That's what grace is. That's what mercy is. You don't deserve it, but you get it nonetheless. Each and all of us are like that. It's not because you're baptized in a church, you now deserve mercy, but being baptized in the church that already itself is undeserved mercy, undeserved privilege, nurture. Not what you deserve, but what you get. And so we find here, he crosses to the other side, and this crazy man, broken, swarmed with demons, and he's the one who comes with a greeting uh, for Jesus, crying out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I abjure you by God, do not torment me. I always find it interesting that we live back then, the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees couldn't figure out who Jesus was, but the demons always could. They knew exactly who he was. We live in such times today. Well, I don't know about that, Jesus. I don't know about your religion but the devil knows exactly who he is and what he does and what he can do to them. Pleading not to uh, what do you have to do with us. And Jesus, meanwhile, is saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What's your name? My name is Legion, for we're many, many. And we're told that they begged earnestly not to be sent out of the country. Now this gives us pause for a minute because sometimes we feel like the world is nothing but in the devil's sway. The church always seems to be on the losing end. It seems like that which is righteous and good shrivels, and that which is perverse and broken grows. And obviously, as God's people, sometimes we're the recipients of something hostile and can even be violent and mean. We feel vulnerable, subject to losing our station. And yet, Jesus, knowing all of that, still goes... To the other side. Knowing all that, he still says, go and make disciples. Go into dark places. Go into unexpected places and bring a message 
of mercy. Because that's what happens here. Now notice this mercy that Jesus is going to give to this man is not sought for. It's not that he got all repented up first and fixed himself up first. And now that he was no longer demon-possessed and dirty and broken, well, now you can be a recipient of mercy. That's not how it works. You're not sanctified and then justified. You're broken. You're sinful. You need mercy. You need divine rescue. You need God's initiative. You need God coming to the rescue and doing what you can't do for yourself. And that's what Jesus does. He can't help himself, but Jesus comes to the rescue without him asking. The demons themselves resisting. You don't want anything to do with us. Don't send us out of the country. They get his authority. They understand. There's hogs there. Hmm. Hogs, pigs, and promised land. My my, uh, father-in-law was a pig farmer. Nothing wrong with swine. Okay. But there were Old Testament dietary laws that applied still during that time. And it shows once more on this other side where they're raising swine. The way, the rule, the sway of God, his law, his word, doesn't rule, doesn't sway, is ignored. Send us into the the pigs. Send us into the the pigs grazing on the hillside some 2,000. And we're told he grants them permission because they... You have to come out of the man. He'd commanded them. It's not optional. This is the Son of God commanding. They obey. And they rush into the pigs. And we're told upon entering them, these unclean spirits entering the, this herd of swine, they, the, the pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. When my oldest son was, oh, I don't know, about seven, eight years old, in art class, he was given this assignment to draw this scene. And sometimes a child's imagination can capture things adults would never think of, but he literally captured the pigs going off the cliff and one big rolling tumble of pork. (laughs) He had their eyes looking in all directions, panicked pigs, their mouths ajar, their their tails and everything. It's just one big mass of hogdom in a swirl of of terror. I mean, it was partly comical, partly uh, horrific, Yes. And then you can imagine all the squealing and the, the awful. And there, the, this, this colossal 2,000 pigs drowning there in the Sea of Galilee. It's a horror. It's also upon to bring healing to this man, it had consequences for a brokenness over here. Certainly the herdsmen who were present and witnessed all this at least from a financial point of view, didn't appreciate what just happened. They're horrified. And they scatter to the cities, they scatter to the countryside to spread word about what happened. The word about 
demon man, fearful man, broken man, and now healed man. When the townspeople and countryside people come to investigate, which would take some time to all get there, what do they discover? They discover not a naked man, but a clothed man. Not a crazy man, but a man who has his senses. Not a, a broken man, but a healed man. Not one ravaged by the devil, but under the care of kingdom come. Not under the sway of Satan who always desires to see us sad and sorrowful and broken and estranged from God, but one who's being cared for and put back together again and enfolded and welcomed under the sway of King Jesus the Healer. And the reply is resistance. They're afraid. Go away. We know this is true with sinners. There might be people sitting here right now that God saved only through a lot of trial, a lot of running away from God, a lot of resisting God, and God still got a hold of your life nonetheless, and all the better. There's people that are in your family or extended family who resist. Don't get too close. Don't talk about God. Adam and Eve already in the garden from walking with God in fellowship and joy to hiding themselves in fear. You know, there's an old saying, when there's a lull in the conversation, you know, in the Dutch language, ah, a domini walked by. <laughs> Better watch our tongues now. Uh, spiritual stuff getting too close. I'm uncomfortable. You know, when I, in my youth, I used to play golf, even in this area, and you get teamed up with just strangers, and you're having a great time chatting along. And what do you do? Well, I go to seminary. Gulp. Silence. I can't talk to him anymore. Ooh, forgive me all my cursing. You know. And there, now it's done. God got too close through a seminary student. <laughs> Leave. Kingdom of God has come. The inauguration of healing and blessing, a future in which lives are put back together. There's reconciliation, forgiveness. Demons are cast away, cast out of the way, cast out. There's a new way. Leave. So it shouldn't surprise us as the church seeks to do the ministry of the gospel in our paganized other side of the world world as we live on this other side, as we experience a secularized, atheistic kind of world in the face of wholesomeness and healing and families put together and fidelity in marriages 
instead of saying, I want that too, leave. I want my kids to be educated and feel they have character and hope and faith and look for guidance from, from God instead of being just foul-mouthed rebels. Leave. What they deserve isn't mercy. What they need is mercy. What they need from God is what they don't deserve. They need his healing hand. They need the scales to fall from their eyes and unstop their ears and take a heart of stone and make it soft. That's what we all need. Mercy. That's what Jesus comes to give. He comes to this other side and mercy comes in unexpected places, even in the face of resistance. We live in a culture in which it feels like the culture's getting uh, more uh, grouchy, right? A cancel culture of no forgiveness. You know, you, you don't treat this person right, you're done. I'm, you're done. Canceled, strike out, X out, finished. Well, you know, it's like if everyone wants to live by eye for eye, tooth for tooth, then the whole world will one day be blind and toothless. We all need mercy. We all need grace. We don't need to be forgiven seven times. We need forgiveness not even seven times, 70 times. We need a, a supply of mercy that outreaches and runs out in front of our abounding sins. We need God's love to chase us down and wake us up and change us. We need mercy to come to us even in our undeservedness and hard-heartedness. We need God to work with a stubborn, stiff-necked Israel through centuries to bring her forward in, to the coming of the Prince of Peace. We don't need a short supply of grace. We need this wide, infinite supply. And so does a broken world that he sends us out into. We live in a world today, what I brand atheistic Pharisees. They're atheistic because they don't believe in God. They have no standard for morality because there's no God to give them a standard. But they're Pharisees. They, they got a thousand morals. You, what car do you drive? How much fuel do you... How green are you? How politically correct do you speak? They got a thousand rules. And judged, judged, judged. Well, I thought that's what the church used to do toward people. We got all these rules and judge you, judge you, judge you. And the church had to be retaught grace, mercy, forgiveness. Now we have a whole culture that needs to be taught through the one who can teach us Jesus Christ. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, second chances, third chances. Should I chop it down? It's fruitless. You know, dig around it. Give it another year. Give it a chance. Our world of atheistic Pharisees will just send us finally at each other's throat to devour us. We need a God of grace, of mercy. We need the love of God. 
even as Christians, we so much want to just cast off that world, be done with it, and yet we're still called to go bring mercy to unexpected places. Yes, there's resistance. What does Jesus do in the face of this resistance? Well, we're told that he, uh, they beg him to leave their region, and as he was getting there, he complies. Does he? As he's getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Of course. My life has been a shambles. I've been filled with demons. Here's the way, the truth, the life. Here's the hope. Here's the answer. Here's Jesus. I want to be with him. I want to walk with him. What does Jesus say? He says, no, I don't permit you. He says to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go home. Show your family. Show your friends. Show the community. Yep, you were the naked, crazy, possessed of demons, frightened everyone, gouged, cut, nuts, made well by Jesus the Messiah. Go tell them how he has had mercy on you. Sometimes one of the hardest things we face with people, even our own covenant youth, is convincing them they need mercy. I got life by the tail. I got the control. I'm at the helm. I, you know, I got this thing. I can do this thing. Yeah, I'm a sinner, whatever. And really convincing them, no, you need God's mercy. You need him. You really, really do. And all along, there's God's mercy been chasing after them ever at the door, bidding. Well, that's what he calls him to do. You go and you show these people on the other side how you exhibit front and central of mercy. And he went away, we're told, and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. So, oh, he didn't just talk to his own town and friends. He's spreading word throughout the ten cities, the whole of the Decapolis, all of the other side, to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Now what we don't know is exactly how it panned out in every case with everyone he spoke to. I think it probably panned out the way it does today. Some people listen and shrug. Some people listen and many marveled and not sure what to do with it. And some marvel and believe and praise God and receive the same mercy and seek the same help and the same hope and the same forgiveness and the same restoration and new direction. We do know this, though. Jesus leaves them a missionary. He leaves them with a witness 
these unexpected places, this Greekified, secularized, paganized land. He leaves them one who would be the living testimony of grace. And we also know this from the history books. In the year 70 AD, the Jews rebelled against the Romans, the Roman Empire. Wasn't a very good idea. Caesar sent his big armies. Pompey, the general, brought his armies to Jerusalem, laid siege to it, destroyed the temple, destroyed the, and killed many of the Jews. And the Christians living in Jerusalem at the time fled for their lives. And they fled to the other side. They fled to one of the cities of the Decapolis to find refuge, a place of safety. They fled to Pella. That's why if you ever travel to Pella, Iowa, city of refuge, the Dutchmen who immigrated under Skolte, they go to this area and they declared it Pella. Here we found refuge where we can practice our faith. These Christians long ago fled to Pella no doubt because there they found a community of faith, fellow believers. You see, God's mercy always maybe starts small. It's just a seed in the ground, and that's always unimpressive. When you start a garden and the seed is buried under the ground, it looks like nothing. And even when it first emerges, it looks hopeful, but it's still not much. But over time, God gives the fruit. And we need to continue to believe that. As we sow seed in unexpected places, the seed of his mercy, the good news of the gospel of Christ, there's still a harvest to be had. There's still blessing out there. He's going to gather his church from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He still has his own that he's going to cultivate and bring to faith and bring into the fold, including this demon man, whose life was a dead end until he made it a new beginning. And that's what we need to pray for our world and our nation and our culture. We need to pray for new beginnings, for mercy to come in unexpected places to unexpected people. If we calculate it, why go to the other side? What can you do with a demon man? It's a dead end. Forget it. But in God's hands, it's a new path, it's a new beginning. Even if small, over time, it bears fruit. So let us get about that all the earth shall hear about the King of kings and the Lord of the lords. Amen. We're thankful, Lord, that your word is your word, because in your hands, it's a sharp sword. In your hands, it's a rock-crushing hammer. In your hands, it brings new life. Lord, we see wreckage, resistance. May we stand in wonder at the mercy that finds us all in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.